0: We have been on the uh, the, the series that we're in right now, the teaching series, we're talking about Love 360, and the reason why we call it Love 360 is that we're attempting to look at love from every degree and every angle, some that sound familiar and others that may not sound as familiar, and so I'm challenging you tonight even more that don't just tune me out because I use scriptures that you have possibly heard before or that maybe we've read before, but I'm challenging you to let the Holy Ghost uh, give you the the ability tonight to be able to see this in a greater capacity. So I want to sort of go back again and I want to take a string and I want to tie the first two parts Together, And I want to get a little more tonight in sort of the demonstration of love. Um, We talked about uh, the first night we talked about, uh, that's the one we did online uh, because of the snow. We really uh, talked about making love the priority of who we are. And then we talked about understanding the importance of love. I want to just go back if I can just for a moment um, and um, touch some of those points one more time. Because I think we we would uh, uh, agree that at times, loving people can be difficult. Loving people can be difficult. I think anybody in here that says that love is easy, you're fooling yourself. Loving people is difficult. In fact, if it was easy, we would not be commanded to love. The fact that we were commanded to love says that It was difficult because if God God valued love so much that he made it a commandment, he made it a commandment because he knows in our frailties and our humanity, we would probably choose not to love. And the fact that in the garden when when man sinned and opened up our flesh to a sinful nature, then it opened us up to everything that is opposite of what God intended. So if God's intention is to love, then flesh's intention is to hate. Because truly God is love. And so if love was easy, God would not have commanded us to love. And we have read many times, in fact, we read it again, 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. From the beginning, we should love one another. We often sort of spend time, and this is a big subject, and I'll just sum it up in a quick sentence, we spend so much time on things that we deem to be important, and I'm not diminishing their importance at all tonight, but we deem uh, these things are great importance. We spend so much time talking about our choices, uh, and we talk about our time, family and friends. We talk about our work. Uh, we talk about prayer. We talk about giftings and callings and all these things that we talk about, and they're important, and I'm not negating their importance, but... Remember what the Bible says, and we read it in the love test, and I'll read it again 1 Corinthians 13 3. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. So we have spent a lot of time focusing on things, and I'm not negating to focus on that, but, but don't forget what Jesus said at the end of the, the, uh, the, the second commandment. He said, On these two commandments, on these two commandments, what were the two commandments? First one is loving God. Second one was loving others as we love ourselves. He said it's on these two commandments that every single thing rests. Uh, if you look at if you look at uh, 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 churches, this is sort of something uh, someone brought this to my attention, and I've sort of kind of filtered it uh, a little bit um, in my heart and spirit, um, and I have. Ask my own self this question. Because I think if we're not careful, we'll miss the message of what is being said, not only in the word of God, but you also miss the message of what I'm saying. Because the tendency when we talk about love and loving, the tendency is we think we've got to swing the pendulum so far over that we don't stand for anything. And I want to make sure I'm clear on this, is that when we're talking about love, I'm not talking about that we don't take a stand for truth. Truth is truth. But what I'm saying is that truth must be handled in love. I have watched truth destroy. I've watched truth hurt. I've watched truth be used as a weapon. But truth's not the problem. That's the problem. People have made a have pointed their finger at truth. And because truth was used as a weapon to hurt, they've pointed a finger at truth and said, truth is wrong. Truth is not wrong. But it's how we've used truth is wrong. So I want to make sure I'm very clear at this because I think I want to make, I, I don't want you to get the wrong impression or to or to you somehow read into something I'm saying or not saying. And that and that is this. Truth is truth. We're not trying to change truth. We're not trying to go away from truth. Truth will always be because if truth is truly God and God is the same yesterday, today and forever, you can't change truth. So when we're talking about love, I'm not talking about us to get to the point where we're just sort of this la, 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 la. we love everybody. Oh, everybody. We don't stand for anybody. No, you, you know, you can stand for something, but stand for it in love. Jesus wasn't wishy-washy. He didn't, he didn't just walk around sort of just in this sort of cloud of, uh, you know, with, with, a, with a, you know, I just imagine Jesus with a peace sign hanging down and tie-dyed shirt and long hair of the headband going, we love everybody. That's the idea of love. That's not, no, that's not the biblical definition of love. Because you can't separate God from truth. So if God is love, and truth is truth, then there must be love in truth. The issue is we've made them separate. So the issue is we've made truth, truth, and truth is supreme, and we got to stand for truth, and love is over here, and, and therefore it's given us the right to be able to use truth as a weapon. But it's amazing that when you look at the examples set forth by Jesus and the way he handled it, Notice, I'll give you an example. Look at the way he handled the the woman at the well. This woman, we know by her own admission and by Jesus' ability to read the situation, we know she was not living a wholly acceptable life. I'm not judging the woman, but we're just putting it out there. She had been married, what, five times, and the person she was living with was not her husband. Now, that's sort of a common thing nowadays, but that was not common back then. I mean, that was on the fringe, on the edge of society. So that's where she was. Now, look at this. Jesus did not say to her, oh, it's okay, you do whatever you want. But he handled truth in love because he really talked about the truth. He said, if you drink from this water I will give you, you'll never thirst again. So what does it mean to handle truth in love? When you handle truth in love, you're really pointing people back to Jesus because he is love. When you handle truth in, in out of love, you really are pointing them to a belief system or ideology or even a good theology. You're not really pointing them back to Jesus. Notice what he said. He didn't say you're wrong. You're, you're, you know, how can you do that? And neither did he say you're okay. He pointed out the issue, and the issue was this: you're drinking from the wrong well. So I, I need to under, we need to understand this because some of you. I think you, some have taken it and have kind of gone with it that way, and other of you are sort of digging your, your heels in the ground going, I'm not sure, well, you know, we, we go this way, I'm, I'm getting scared. No, those of you that have sort of taken it and gone 90 to nothing that way because, oh, we love, now we don't have to do anything. You're really revealing your heart, really. But those of you that are putting your foot in the ground because if we love, we, we let go of truth, you're not being true to the Word of God. So I think there's a balance here. So I want to make sure we understand that because uh, for so many years, we have, we have prioritized giftings over character. We have prioritized someone who can prophesy, but as a jerk. That's a good biblical word. I mean, I, you, someone may be able to prophesy and talk in tongues and, and lay it all out there, but that you wouldn't want to meet them on the street. So we've got to have a balance. We've got to understand that there's no way we can elevate or even assume to put on pedestals people because they walk around and they have some giftings. The giftings of God are without repentance. Giftings will not get you to heaven. In fact, they could send you to hell. We chase things that are, they're biblical. I'm not talking about giftings are wrong and let, you know, but we chase some things that that if you're not careful giftings can become bigger than God. And there we elevate people and look, you know, for years I've seen people who had great giftings, men and women, but they weren't they weren't godly people. And I'm not talking about your definition of godly. I'm talking a biblical definition of godly because they were not built in love. So Corinthians challenges us that. And so we have to understand that Jesus gave love a priority Over all other virtues. Everything else Jesus talked about. He put it at the top of the list. Every thought, response, every act of goodwill. Must first pass through the fine filter of love. Or it means nothing. It's not that we can't. Reach out and speak truth. But if that's truth, is not passing through the filter of love, it's, it's a problem. You, you can still say to somebody that Jesus loves you and that sin is wrong, but you can do that through the filter of love. So it's not bringing condemnation, but bringing a pointing back to the forgiving power of Jesus Christ. So we have to stand that making love a priority. Uh, Yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I came across this quote from uh, his, uh, I believe it was a speech or something. Maybe he wrote It was called Strength to Love. And in this, uh, Martin Luther King encouraged those that were there to realize this. He said this, it's our responsibility as believers to discover the meaning of this command. And he was talking about the command to love. And he said, it's our responsibility as believers to discover the meaning of this command and seek passionately to live it out in our daily lives. thought that was a powerful statement coming from a man who was dealing with so much hate. But he said, "It's it's our duty, it's our calling as believers to understand fully what this means, and to have a passion to live it out. So we understand that we have to make love a priority. The second thing is we understood that it's of great importance. Don't forget, we we said it again, but going back to the first two commandments, and Jesus said, on this, all of the law hangs. It would seem to me, if you look at it from sort of the perspective in which most of us would, you would think the logical explanation would be uh, that you would, Hang all of it on obedience, that the peg you build to hang all of this stuff would be the the peg of obedience. But Jesus made the point that it was all hanging on the peg of love. And finally, when he said, and I love that sort of phrase that he used in John chapter 13, he said, I give you a new commandment really wasn't a new commandment at all it's just a re it was just a rewording of the original commandments he gave love one another just as i loved you you must also love one another so john repeats that paul goes on to tell us in romans 13 love does no wrong to a neighbor love therefore is the fulfillment of the law so we begin to see this picture that's being built of the of the the priority that Jesus put on love and then also not only the priority of love but the importance of love but I want to dig a little deeper tonight uh, because I want to move past sort of the 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 theology of love if you want to call it that I think we've established enough scripture and enough understanding and we could go deeper but but there comes a point in time where you go deep enough to make the point. I think we've understood and we've acknowledged the theology of love. So I want to get a little more in depth tonight with talking about sort of the nature, the distinguishing nature of love, and then sort of wrap it up here at the end with some uh, practical examples of love and how we live out love. We're really good. I, I mentioned this last week when we are talking about sort of Uh, re-examining what it means to uh, be a mature believer. And so uh, we're really good at making things really in-depth and complicated. And it sounds wonderful. The problem is you have no idea how to apply that. One of the encouraging things... uh, it's been many. Many have said this, but it's always great when you get to hear it again from a fresh, fresh perspective. Uh, Sunday, my wife and I had an opportunity to go and hang out with the with the Lanham small group, and the Lanham small group, small group is composed of uh, mostly a group of Filipinos that have been around since the late '90s. Brother uh, Ed and Sister Tess and others have been around for a long time, and so we were talking with them and and just been able to share with them and they were talking and sharing things with us and, and they said it, all of them said it. And it was really encouraging because they've been around a long time. They said, one thing we love about what's happening is, is that whatever we're being taught, whatever's being done, it's really easy to be able to take that and apply it the next day. And I, and I, I don't mean that to say that we can't get into the depths of the word of God. I, I, I love to study of the word of God. I love to just drill down into some deep stuff. And to kind of get into sort of the the, the far reaches of some things about the word of God. And that's all great and wonderful. But if nothing can be applied, what really does it profit you? If if we can understand the mysteries of God, but we can't understand the practicality of love, we're really not going to affect anybody. And I said it last week, I think a lot of us are about 3,000 scriptures overweight spiritually. Because we digest so much information spiritually to the depths, but then there's no application to that. So then what do we do? So if we can understand that there's some distinguishing nature of love and and to understand that Jesus used these distinguishing characteristics, and hopefully we'll get into this a little later in the practical parts of love, but the distinguishing characteristic of of his followers, his disciples, the true mark of discipleship that he wanted the distinguishing characteristics to be, would to be love, and, and we see it now today that you know we we you can wear a WWJD bracelet, and you can wear a I Love Jesus t shirt, and you can wear a cross around your neck, but that doesn't distinguish who you are more than love. We are watching a world. Sort of almost seemingly like on a day 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 by day basis we 're watching a world deteriorate around us we're watching the world sort of slowly slip farther and farther away from the values in which this country is built on and i 'm not trying to make a political speech, but we we all understand we're smart enough to realize that and 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 on one standpoint, it kind of can easily uh disturb you as a believer because there's so many things that are beginning to happen that uh, are contrary to what we believe the word of God says and this is not about a political party because everybody's doing it so we can't say it's political party and so we're beginning to see this and on one part it's disturbing but on the other side of it it's extremely encouraging You say, how is it encouraging? Because this, the more, the darker everything gets, the brighter the light of the true church shines. And I'm not talking about the bright light of truth. I'm talking about the fact that in a world that is continuing to decay around us, that the true characteristics of love that we should display as disciples of Jesus Christ become a greater light to this world. I don't want to get into this, but there is uh, uh, there are, are three sort of societal frameworks. The two easier ones to understand is a theonomous society. That's a society that is based off the values of, of, of a God, whether it's the God we believe in or another God. But our world today, the culture we live in, we really live in an autonomous, governed society. What that means is that everybody's value, every person feels like, and I mean, I'm trying to say this in a, in, a, in a kind way so it doesn't come like an attacking, but every person feels like that their opinion and their values are of the supreme, most important. And therefore, if I don't agree with you, I'm not just disagreeing with you. I'm somehow attacking your human whatever. And so because of that, it's very difficult anymore to stand up for anything because if you stand up for anything, people take that as you are attacking them. And so because of that, most churches, a lot of churches have decided to combat that by standing for nothing. We can't go that direction because you can't, you can't just go through and start taking your Sharpie and cutting out scriptures that may be a little divisive. God bless you if you want to do that, but I, I, you can't do that. You can't Sharpie your Bible and say, well, that, that's not, ooh, that, that made me feel a little uncomfortable. I can't say it. Oh, shh, shh, shh. So how do we continue to be able to, to stand for truth, speak truth, but be able to stand in a world where everybody's on edge. How do we do that? We've got to become more passionate today about understanding the true love of God than we've ever been in our entire existence. We've got to become passionate about it. It can't just be an option. It can't be one of those things we're on this, on the shelf that we go, oh yeah, love God. Okay, I got that. Love each other. Got that. Okay. No, we've gotta we've gotta dig deeper. And each one of us has got to become passionate about asking God, what does that mean in my life? What is what's this love thing mean in my life from the beginning? God's plan was to develop a people that reflected his character. From the beginning, we talked about this at Anatomy of the Disciple. What was the very first thing? He said, let us make man in our image. What's the first thing God wanted to do? He wanted us to be his image bearers. He wanted us to be the reflection of his character. What's the foundation of his character? God is love. So if that's the case... first john four sixteen and seventeen God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him in this love, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as He is in this world. The best way for us to show the world who we are is to be a group of people passionate about love. The greatest advertisement we can show to the world is not the way we worship. How good we are at preaching, how good we are at singing, how good we are and what we look like. That's not the way we advertise to the world. The greatest advertisement is we can be to the world is to show that we are a people that are passionate about love, loving him and loving each other. If we would become a body focused on those two things to love him, first and foremost, that is our greatest priority is to love God. If you're going to love God You've got to seek to know him. If you're going to seek to know him, you're going to seek to follow his will. The problem is everybody wants to follow God, but nobody wants to know him. And certainly nobody wants to do his will. If you love somebody, you should desire to know them. And if you know them, you should desire what it is to please them. So when we say we love God, what backs that up? And I'm not knocking anybody but I come across people on the street all the time, "Oh, I love Jesus." Okay, great. I thought sister we were talking to sister Dolan and our small group leaders follow up and I loved her uh explanation of one of the ways she broke down uh a message several weeks ago to uh, her group. It was great. She she told her group, she goes, "I know Tom Hanks." She said, "I know everything about him. I know his movies. I know he's he's married to. I know his kids." I I mean, you you know about his ups and downs, you know, I mean, you can go online and find out how much money he makes, where he went to school, you can even go, I mean, well, years ago we were in California, we went by and saw the gate to his house. I know Tom Hanks, but no one here thinks I really know Tom Hanks. I know him. I mean, I could describe to you what he looks like. I can describe to you his movies. I can describe to you his voice. I, I, could, I, could, I could write you uh, several paragraphs to, to articulating who he is, and I would be absolutely 100% accurate. But I don't know, Tom. I think that really sums up a lot of people in their relationship with Jesus because you ask them, do they know do they know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus. And I'm not talking to people outside of this room. I'm talking about even people in this room. You know a lot about Jesus. You know his movies. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, good movies. You know about the, his, his characteristics. You know about him a lot. You know he lived, he died. You know all that. You can quote scripture, but do you know him? How do we know we know? I remember Matthew says, if you know him and you're in an approved relationship with him, then your greatest priority is to do his will. But if you're doing his will every day and it's not built in the foundation of loving him, then you feel like a prisoner to his will. If I'm doing his will and I don't love him and know him, I'm going to say this, and and woo, I'm about to sign. No, I hate, sometimes I hate when it's being streamed because I can't deny. I'll just say it. A lot of times we've talked about things in a way where we've had people leave and mimic the behavior of what's being taught, but we haven't pointed them to the foundation of why the behavior is necessary. So therefore, if you do that, then you really become legalistic. Legalism is not because you stand for things and you believe in the right or wrong of things. That's not legalism. Legalism when you remove the foundation of love out of things and you're doing them because that you have to do them. You do this, go there, do this, don't do this, do that, do that. But if I can build it in the foundation of love, there's no I've done now and I've done my handful of marriages. I'm not, I have not done this yet, and I don't plan on doing it. Do you, Brother Bill, take Sister Sue to be your wife? Okay, do you? Okay, good. Now, let me go over the list of the 5,211 things you shouldn't be doing. And Sister Sue, let me go over the four thousand eleven hundred million things you should do. If you think about it, Marriage has got a lot of depth to it that a 30-minute ceremony doesn't even scratch the surface to. A 30-minute ceremony of bringing two people together is really just, do you love and are you declaring today that this love is going to put you in this union? That's it. But in that 30-minute ceremony, you're not trying to get them to come to the understanding, okay, here is all the things you're going to have to do and not do. All you're trying to do is if you could just focus on the fact of loving each other. So I say all that to say that the the, the thing that should wrap all of this, the foundation should be love. I've read this and it was so powerful. There was a missionary to East Africa and he returned home from his ministry in East Africa and he had observed a very interesting phenomenon. He said he noticed how repeatedly large groups of, of Africans would pass government-run clinics, government-sponsored clinics to travel miles and miles out of their way to come to where he was, they would. The government would bring in outside aid. They would even bring in other 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 world uh, health organizations to come in and provide these clinics. And he noticed that not just a handful, but larger groups of Africans would would pass by these clinics that were set up in their villages and their towns, and they would travel miles and miles and miles out of the way to come to where he was to receive the same. Medicine, and after watching this for a period of time, he finally decided to ask one of them why this was the case. And he said, "Why are you choosing to do this?" He said, I- "I'm giving you the same medication that they're giving you, but yet you're choosing to walk tens and tens and tens and tens of miles. Not drive. Not like you know. Let's we're you know we're we're, we're going to go for Crofton. Oh well, there's better." There's there's the same medicine in in Millersville. I mean, you're talking about miles apart and you're walking. And he said, why are you doing this? And they made the statement. And I read the statement and I thought, oh, Lord, help us. This is the statement they said. The medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. The medicines are the same, but the hands are different. You may be putting out the same medication to somebody else, but the hands are different. We've focused on the medication when we also need to focus on the hands given the medication. I'm teaching, but I got to stop for a moment and preach on that for a second. I'm not knocking that we got to get rid of the medication. All I'm saying is if all we ever do is focused on the medication, we've got nurses in here. We got people that have been in the medical field God bless you. But every once in a while, you get a, you'll get a nurse that has no clue what they're doing. Or they're just grumpy. I'm going to watch nurses come in and give you IV or needle. And they're just like, well, I'll get it one. I mean, no care. They're just, I'm like, hello, pincushion, I am not. And what is the one thing you notice with medical people? We call it bedside manner. Uh, we we had situation with one of our with one of our children. We went to see a, a specialist, big fancy specialist. Woo, Johns Hopkins, Johns Hopkins specialist. I mean, you know, you're supposed to go in there and be all oh, this guy. This guy was an absolute utter, just I don't even know the word. I'm streaming. I need to be. Can we have a beep button on the streaming? Beep. I mean, he was just he was horrible. I don't care the fact that guys like he is world known for his field. I wouldn't pay another two cents to go see this guy. Am I right? He was terrible. I mean, this is no joke. By the way, I got to take. I got. I've been waiting to do this all night. <laughs> That's just one of the perks I like now. With, and these are not for looks. Unfortunately, I didn't realize how blind I would gotten. So, but he comes in the room, and this is. Not, he he's standing there, and the whole time he's talking to us. He's, am I? I am telling the truth. He is just. Well, we could. Uh, we could. Um, well, here's what we could do. I'm like, dude, I don't care how many degrees you got on your name. I don't care who in the world is paying you money. I would not pay you another penny. Medications are the same, but the hands are different. We're not trying to change the medication. Medications are the same, but the hands are different. So let's look at sort of some demonstrations of the virtues of love. How, okay, we've got all this love thing, so no, all right, tell me how am I supposed to demonstrate love? Let's get into this a little bit. How can we practice love? How can we demonstrate love? Well, the first thing we begin to understand when we begin to really peel back the layer of what were some of the characteristics of love, the first thing that jumps out of uh, at us when we look at it is this number one love values the other person loves let's let's let, let, let's time time let's pull back for a second. And I put this in my notes I want to make sure you understand it because I think it's it's important let's don't confuse biblical love with Modern counterfeits of love, because nowadays we counterfeit love with lust. We counter love with sentimentalism. We even counter love with sort of gratification, and all those things. Some of those things are good. Other things, but but here's the part about love that we find in Scripture. Is that while love is warm, while love is wonderful and love can be that warm feeling, love is not always a feeling. If you're listening to me tonight and you're taking some mental notes, that's the first thing I want you to kind of mentally put in your, in your brain tonight. The medicines are the same, but the hands are different. That's one. Number two, right underneath that, I want you to put in your mind love. Is not, all, is not always about a feeling. In fact, according to the Bible, love is primarily an active interest in the well-being of another person. And love acts for the benefit of others. God loved us not because we had something to offer him, but rather because he had something to offer us. What did he say? For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for us was demonstrated by the mercy and the grace that he gave us. So the first characteristic that we see in love, the demonstration of love is that that love values the other person. The second one that we see is love is vulnerable to the other person. It's really hard to love somebody without making yourself vulnerable to that person. That's why the Bible talks about to love your brother, you first must what? Love who? Love yourself. But the problem with that is love isn't selfish. So that kind of seems like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to love others, but I'm first of all have to love myself. Doesn't that seem a little self-serving that I'm supposed to be here doing this? Because really, if you look at this, love is at the top of the food chain. I mean, loving myself is at the top of the food chain. Because look at this, watch me in the air. I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, soul, long, and strength. I'm supposed to love others as myself, but I can't love God who I haven't seen. If I can't love my brother who I have seen, but I can't love my brother don't love myself so I put all that together loving myself allows me to love others which is the demonstration that I truly love God so if I can't love myself I can't even start the process so why do you think God spends so much time under your hood tinkering with your engine You think God is just trying to make you into the perfect person? No, he's trying to get you to the point where you can get healed enough to be vulnerable because you can't love without being vulnerable. And broken people don't like to be vulnerable. When you're hurting, the last thing you want to do is make yourself vulnerable. So what do you do? You want to pull back, right? Well, if you pull back... You're really pulling back what? You also pull back from him. So why do you think God is like, oh, God, you know, always oh, messing with me. What I got over this and you're now dealing with this and I get rid of this. It's like, can I have a break? No, because every layer he deals with here gives me a greater ability to demonstrate love and to understand love. So if I look at it that way, I understand that every time God's working on this, it's not to make me into some perfect. It's because every time he's working on this, he's allowing this conduit to become a greater avenue of love. Now, if that's the case, it's saying, Lord, keep working on me. Because the greater he works on me, the more I can demonstrate love. It's not so we can we can walk around like we're some perfect, got-it-all-together people. It's because if I can get deeper and getting this healed and getting my broken places mended, then I can be more vulnerable, which allows me to go deeper in love. Because love is vulnerable. What does that mean? It means this, love opens up its life to another person. It's more than sentimental feelings. Love breaks down barriers and it exposes the heart. Think about this. Think about Jesus, okay? Jesus is the greatest demonstration of the love of God. We understand that God's love was so great. His greatest demonstration was to robe himself in flesh to demonstrate that love. But in demonstrating that love, he made himself the most vulnerable So in order to demonstrate his love to the max, he had to take his vulnerability to the max. So he wanted to show you and I how much he loved us. So to make that point across, he took himself to the edges of vulnerability that God could go, that God would subject himself to flesh and become a man. There's no greater way, for the God of this world to demonstrate love than to wrap himself in flesh for the creator to become the creation. There was no greater way for him to demonstrate that than him to take his deity and wrap it in humanity. And even to that point, that he came into his own, and his own received him not. Think about the level of, of love that that expresses to you and me. And then on top of that, he that would have been good enough, but then he took that love even further to the max, that he put himself in the greatest vulnerable position, and that's the vulnerability of the cross, hanging there naked, broken, shattered. When people were looking at him saying, if you're truly the son of God, if you're really who you say you are, call and get yourself down off this cross. But his vulnerability produced the greatest demonstration of love, and that was Calvary. The vulnerability of the blood of Jesus flowing down that tree that day and puddling at the foot of that cross as soldiers gambled for his robe. That's the greatest demonstration of the vulnerability of God Himself, but that was the greatest demonstration in all of history. It's the greatest demonstration. To love is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. This is C.S. Lewis. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe. In the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It won't be broken. Instead, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and unredeemable. Think about that. To love is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure you keep your heart intact, don't give it to anyone. The third characteristic of love is this love comes with a cost. Love gets its hands dirty, love takes a chance, love goes out on a limb. Love takes a gamble. Love makes a statement and leaves a legacy. It does the unexpected. It does the surprising. It does the stirring. It performs acts that steal the heart and leave an impression on the soul. And often the acts of love are forgotten. That's why the Bible says that love, true love, doesn't seek its own. It's not puffed up. Why? Because more often, the greatest acts of love that you do for others go unnoticed. The greatest acts of love truly go unnoticed. I'll I'll never forget this story. Uh, I don't even remember where I heard it. There was a group of minister, young ministers, young men that uh, that were training to be in the ministry. And so for classes... For week after week they'd come to class and the pastor who was an older man by the time and he would sit there and he would teach them the word of God teach them and share them wisdom and teach them understanding and so they just they just soaked it in and soaked it in and soaked it in and soaked it in And so he said, "Okay, man, I think you're ready, but you got to pass one more test before I know you're ready to take the next step." And so with that as their challenge they began to spend the next week deep in study pouring back over every lesson every note every scripture every thought every point that was made in a series of week after week because they wanted to make sure when they come to take this final test they'll pass it so they spent all this time week just just hours after hours and so uh, upon arrival they all come in to the room They all sit down, waiting in anticipation for him to hand out a piece of paper, something that they could prove to him, we are ready to take that next step. And the first words that came out of his mouth of the group, I don't know how many it was, but he said, Okay, you all failed. They looked at him with disbelief. You said, Failed what? Where's the test? We we didn't see a test, and we're fa- you, you you can't fail us. You didn't even test us. He said, "Yeah, you failed. You're not ready for the next step." And 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 they got some of them began to get frustrated to the point of. You, you you mean to tell me after all this time and, and 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 ask me any question again? I'll give you the answer. You know, ask me about scriptures. I, I know every scripture you've you've, you've spoken. You, every point you made, ask me. I I remember what what you taught the first week, the second week. Ask me anything. He said, No, no, you failed. You failed. And they were just frustrated. And finally, they were in their frustration. Okay, where was the test? We didn't even fail. How do we fail? We know everything. He said, No. He said. Before you got here, I took a piece of paper, crumbled it up, and just threw it on the ground. And every one of you that walked in here, I watched. I watched every one of you walk in here so focused on your world that you didn't even stop to notice what was happening in the world around you. And every one of you walked by that piece of paper and no one bothered to pick it up and put it right in here next to the trash that I'd stuck five feet away. If you can't do that simple act of kindness for something else other than yourself, you don't need to take the next step in ministry. Everybody got silent. Everybody knew. And they all walked out learning a very valuable lesson. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you can spit out from your years of Bible study. If you can't even do simple acts of love and kindness, all of that is worthless. But do you know the problem is? Those aren't going to be the things, Sister Owens, that's going to get you put up front on Sundays. More than likely, it's not even things people notice. It's not even things that are going to get you any accolades. You're not going to to rise up the, the, the rung of stardom in the church and everybody's going to look at you and go, man, they are so spiritual. And more than likely, you're going to do things and nobody's ever going to know you did them. But they're the greatest acts of love that you can do. They're the greatest tests of love. That you can do. I wonder. If we became. A body. Of people. That were willing. To love. Others at any cost. Even to our own vulnerability. And understanding that. Love does. Cost. So let's look at some practical things here in the last. 15, 20 minutes or so. I'm going to go through these little bit of a lists um, one by one here and talk about them individually, but they sort of tie in to this. We talked about, again, the priority of love. We've talked about sort of the, uh, the idea of the importance of love, and we've gotten a little bit into sort of the distinguishing natures of love and the virtues of love. Love is vulnerable love is love is valuing the other person love is a cost but let's talk about love a little more practical first of all love loving people can require extraordinary effort but doesn't require extraordinary giftings I'm going to read that one more time so you get that loving People can require extraordinary effort, but doesn't require extraordinary giftings. Practical things like talking to people, getting to know them, being a good listener. So many times in our desire to just connect with people, we don't even know how to just talk with them, have a conversation. I don't say this as, a, as an excuse. I really mean this. I, I, I try my best to keep up. I keep up on sports to a degree. I'm not married to them. In fact, I didn't even watch one moment of any game on Sunday. I know it was in the Super Bowl, but I didn't watch it. And I'm not saying that it's some noble thing. I just didn't have a chance to watch it. I read the newspaper every day. I'm not it's not a I'm not diving deep into the depths of it. I read it enough. The reason why I do a lot of that stuff, mostly some of it is I enjoy it, but a lot of it is because anywhere I go, I want to be able to connect with people where they are. I want to be able to connect to somebody and 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 for me, I mean, not saying you got to do this, it's, it's my personal choice. I, I don't want to talk to some guy, and, you know, I'm connected to some guy at the gym, and he's like, yeah, did you see that football game the other day? I'm like, yeah, man, they scored seven home runs. And the guy's like, what? Yeah, man, the guy hit it over the fence a home run. It was amazing. He slid into third base. He's like, it was a football game. I'm like, I know. Boy, those Yankees are good football players. That guy's going to be like, What? And and I don't want to go, I don't want someone to say, you know, this president we have, you know, what what about that president? Oh, I I think Ronald Reagan's a great president. I'm not exactly saying that, that, telling you that you should turn yourself over to, but we also have to understand, we got to be able to connect to people. Can't be some third headed person. You know, oh, don't worry, I I, I can speak in tongues in seven languages. You want to hear them? But we can't connect. We can't talk to people just normal. We can't have a normal conversation because you know why? People in this world have real issues, real problems. I know you don't think they do when you see them on the street. We think they all got it. They've got real problems and real issues. And if you can't connect with them, they're never going to open up and let you talk to them. We've got a couple of guys that I've known now for a couple of years at the gym I go to, uh, up the street, the Y. And, and, and the first few, the first getting to know them, there, there was one guy, he's 76 years old now. I've known him now for about four, four years now when I first met him. He was, he was the number two ranked man in the world for uh, his age bracket for strength. This guy was, and so we just started conversations, simple conversations. And then we got to know each other a little bit and we're talking back and forth and, and it just a little bit led to there and a little bit led to there. And then he'll, he'll, he will talk about this and, and I talk about it a little bit and we get into that. And this was back in 2016 when the election was going all over the place and, and he would share his views and I would just nod and say, well, that's nice. I didn't share mine. I just, yeah, that's interesting. And we got to connect, and he I—I I guess he thought I was a good listener, and we he got to, you know. And one day he said, "So what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm a pastor." Oh, really? And then he said, "Well, you know," I—he said, "He said that's great. I'm a Catholic." And I said, "Boy, that's sad. You're going straight to hell." <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm like, "That's awesome, man. This guy is devoted. He is a, he is an absolute. He's just a devoted Catholic." And I, I said, "Man, that's awesome." And so every once in a while I'd go I'd come in and, and the first thing I'd ask him when I see him is, How is Mass? You can't say that. That's that's no, I wanted to know. He's like, it, it was great. Our our, uh, our our priest gave a great, what's that, a homily? What do they call it? Homily? They gave a great homily. I'm like, what did he talk about? Oh, he talked about this. I said, that's awesome. And a couple of weeks later, into that, he'd say, I'd say, Hey, how was Mass? Oh, it was good. What did the priest talk about? What was the, he, the he goes, what'd you talk about? I'm like, okay. All right. So I'd say, well, you know, today we talked about, you know, this, love that. So then after a little while longer, I mean, this is months now. I'm not talking about a couple of days. I'm talking, this is a month, months, and months, and months, and months chipping away at it. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? We got just one break at a time. And then finally I'd come in. He wouldn't even, I, he didn't, he wouldn't even give me the chance anymore to ask him how was mass. Hey, what'd you talk about Sunday? And I'd be sitting there and I'd be giving, my wife was in and she'd tell you, I'd be giving sermons to these guys right there. I'm not even working out. I'm just, the same thing, I'm talking Sunday morning, I'm laying it out to them. And then by the time it's done, he's like, he'd get me an audience. Hey, you guys gotta come here and listen to this guy. He got some good stuff. And next thing I have four or five guys and I'm giving a sermon right there in the middle of the gym. You know why I started? Because I was just willing to connect with them where they were without trying to feel the pressure that I've got to win them to Jesus because if I don't win them, I'm not, I'm not going to have any fruit. I just was connecting to them on a human level. I went in there the other day. I didn't see him in a while. He's getting a little older now, and um, he's had some health problems, and he's not as able to come in as much. And so I hadn't seen him in a while, and we were in the other day, and I, I, I came across him, and um, I hadn't seen him probably a couple months. And He came and He said, "Joel, man, where have you been?" So I was talking to him, and and his and the other guy was there, and and they've taken me up. They were just they're really good guys, and they've taken me up to the the basilica in Baltimore, and they and they took me. And me, he said we, he told me one day he's like I, he said you ever been to basilica in Baltimore? I'm like no. He's like you got to come to mass up there, and you, he said you got to meet the priest. He said I know the I know the head priest up there. He's got to meet you. So here I go. Right up there to Mass, twelve o'clock on a Friday, and he looked at me. He said, "Hey." Uh, he 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 turned to me when when Mass started. He goes, uh, "You don't have to participate if you want to." He said, "You you just sit there." I said, "No, I I'll, I had no clue what I was doing. I had no clue, but I stood and stood and that, and because you know what? I've watched people come in our in our in our gatherings, and they're looking around going, what am, And I I I I finally felt what they felt. I mean, we're over there. We know when to clap. We know when to stand, and we got our own little system of things and so i'm like well you know what i can't encourage him to do it if i don't try it so guess what i stood i didn't take the wafer i did stop i didn't stop short because something that he did tell me I, I wasn't qualified for the wafer but that's okay but i did everything else and the reason I did that and, and you know what by doing that impressed him more than if i'd have sat there with my arms folded going well i'm here i don't agree with any of this but i'm here and this is not what the Bible teaches. I just said, you know what, this great. He was so, he loved that. And it was done. He's like, we got to go meet the priest. I went and met the priest. And we talked. The head priest of the Basilica of Baltimore, I'm talking to this. I would have never imagined four years ago I met this guy that I would have been talking to the head priest of Basilica of Baltimore. This is a, I mean, this guy's not low on the totem pole. And after a while, the priest said, well, hey, I can't do it. But he said, I've arranged with you a private tour. Would you like to go on it? I'm like, yeah. So I go on a private tour. It was amazing. And all that came from just a connection that was made. And I was in the other day. So make think I story short. I was in there the other day. And he hadn't seen me in a while. And he said, hey, Joel, how's it at? How how's it going? I said, it was good. He said, how was Christmas? I said, it was good. I said, we went out of town with my family. Uh, I said, my dad uh, had this sort of bucket list deal to Take the family for Christmas and we all got together and uh went to Christmas together and I said it was my wife and I and my brother and his wife, and his kids, and my dad and his and, and, and my mom and we just had a good time. He goes, Everybody's married in your family? I said, Yeah. So how long is everybody married? He said, Well, I'm seventeen years. I said, My brother, I think he's twenty five, twenty six years, something like that, twenty seven. My parents are 51. He said, Joel, why do you think you guys have had such success with marriage? He said, and and I realized it hit me. His daughter now lives with him. She's had a horrible situation. And so instead of getting on this soapbox about marriage, I talked about the love of God. Now the love of God. Works and he sat there. And I'm not, by the time it was done, my wife walked by. There must have been four guys standing around there talking about it. Now, is any one of those guys coming on Antioch West? No, will they ever? I don't know. And you know what? I don't really care. Some sow, some water. God gives the increase. I may just be the sower. I don't have to worry about who the water is. God didn't tell me to be the water. I'm just the sower. And I'm not the one giving the increase. So I don't have to stress about, oh, 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 they're not, they're not coming to Sunday morning and they haven't. God hasn't told me to invite them, but we're supposed to invite everybody to the church. No, we're supposed to be led of the spirit. But aren't we supposed to lead people to, to invite them to church? If God's telling us to do that, Great but I'm just trying to connect with them and share Jesus with them. I'm sowing. Trust me, God's more interested in saving that man than I could ever be. And I think he proved it by going to the cross. So this leads into point number two, I kind of already talked about a little bit, is start small and push through the awkwardness. I think sometimes we we sort of uh, diminish small talk. But sometimes you've got to start somewhere. And the problem is, in ch- the church world especially, we kind of have our own verbiage. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. And, and you know, God's good. and It's small talk, but just cover. Because really, honestly, we know that, hey, most of the time if that that person asking us how to do it, they're not really n- wanting to know how we're doing, they're just being kind. But the first moment someone really starts to show you that they're actually genuinely caring how you're doing, all of a sudden now the tables turn. But you know what? If someone's struggling, you're not going to go beat their door down in one day. And you've got people in this world that have had their doors shut so long that the hinges are Rusted. I, I, st- years ago, I was in, um, I got 10, but give me 10 more minutes here. Years ago, I w- went to the country of Kyrgyzstan. Probably the worst experience of my travel life. And I don't mean that. I, God bless, them with some sweet people there, but if I ever go back to the country, I will not miss it. The first night we get there, and it was just my brother and I, and the missionary wasn't there, and so he sent us to this, apartment complex that was straight out of the Soviet Union, Brother Mallory. I mean, the KGB were outside the door. And the, this is, and my, my, my brother can verify it. The door, the, the, the apartment we stayed in, I, it, it came right off the Soviet block. I mean, it was just straight out of communism. It had seven padlocks, seven deadbolts on the door, seven I don't know why one wasn't good enough, but whoever was living in that lived with so much fear. Seriously, think about that. They had so much fear of who was on the outside and wanting to be protected. They had seven deadbolts on their door. If you were trying to get into that house and it was all locked and you knocked on the door, you wouldn't hear. You would hear. One minute, please. You know what? We come across people every day on your job, in your neighborhood, at your grocery store, wherever it is. They've got 35 deadbolts on their door to their heart because people have used them, abused them, life has hurt them, and you know what? You're not going to walk up to them on the first day you meet them, knock on their door, and they go, oh, you're a believer. Let me unlock every one of these and let you in. And some of those people, they may not unlock one, but every couple of months. And you might know some people right now you've known from years, but you may be one deadbolt away from finally getting into their heart. Well, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. I'm telling you. Some of you are like, well, I've known these people for years and, I, and we have a great relationship, but it hasn't gone anywhere. Don't forget, baby, you might be a deadbolt number 34 after 34 deadbolts. And you might be one deadbolt away from walking into work tomorrow and say, how you doing? And they're going, can I really talk to you? You seem like you always ask me how I'm doing. Nobody in this office cares about me, but every morning you ask how I'm doing. Can I really talk to you? You seem like somebody that could help me. But you know what the problem is? We walk in, we say, how you doing? And they look at us like, mm-hmm. we're like, oh. I was talking to a guy the other day. We got a, I got a friendship with a guy over at, um, he's become a really good, he's a good a good guy. We have a really good relationship and I, I had this affinity for Mission Barbecue to the point of it's very sad because when I go in there, everybody from behind the counter calls out my name. Sad but true, literally sad but true. I was going in there so much for a while that when I would walk in there, all I had to do was go up and pay, and they would just give me my order. I didn't even have to open my mouth. Sad. I've gotten through that now, went through heat rehab. It's great. I'm okay now. I've been, I've kicked the barbecue habit, but there's one guy the other day we were chatting. He's from originally from Arizona. We were chatting and he, we were talking about Maryland and you know he was talking about all this stuff. And he goes, you know, his 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 parents are out there and he's going out there for fiftieth wedding anniversary for his parents. And he's like, yeah, it's nice out there. He said, you know, one of thing about there I love. He said, when you wave at somebody, they wave back. When you smile at somebody, they smile back. He said, people around here are so stressed out. Think about it, though. We are. If you look closer on the Maryland flag, you will see a frown somewhere in there, just a stressed frown. It's in there. It's just kind of like it's one of those, you know, those old old things they used to have in the mall. It's those pictures. Look at anything. You stare at them long enough and, a, and an image starts. That's what the Maryland flag is. Look long enough at the Maryland flag. Next time you see it, you will see a frown start to appear because everybody in Maryland stressed out. Traffic, cost of living. I think just being next to DC, it just stresses you. So you're not going to get the quick response from people when you say "How you doing?" But you know what? One dead bolt at a time. That's right. That's right. Follow the affections. What do I mean by that? Is this facts are important to people? Don't just ask about vague things. If someone asks you about something, it's little details. I, 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 I'm I, coaching my son's basketball team. And I to be transparent with you, before I started, I knew it was going to be a Saturday commitment and I prayed to ask the Lord because I didn't know my schedule for the next couple of months. I thought I did, but I said, Lord, you know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to spend time with my son. I'm enjoying connecting with, I've, I've met a lot of Really great people over the last couple of years being connected with uh, community stuff with my son. I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, I, 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 you know, I'd love to do it. But I don't want to impede on anything you have for me. And I prayed about it. I felt peace about it. So I, I took the big leap and I, was, I actually became the coach. And I am terrible with names. Terrible. Horrible. Horrible with names. And I went in there the first day, and you got 11 seven-year-olds. And the first thing I said, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I am terrible at names. But I would ask you, if your grace, if you would help me remember these names of these little boys today. It was amazing. Within about 30 minutes, i know every one of those boys' names. And here's why I say that was important. Because every one of those little boys had a mom and a dad. And that mom and dad loved that little boy. And I don't want to be calling, hey, you. You. Because that's not a hey, you. That's somebody's little boy. That's a mama's baby boy. He's not a hey, you. So just me taking the time to make sure I remembered their name and called their name To me, that was an ability to show that parent that I cared about their child. Cared about it. I did. Two two years ago, it was very naive on my part, but I did it anyways. The guy called me and said, listen, I got a problem. Um, I don't have anybody to run the um, five-year-old basketball. Would you do it? Sure, notice he didn't tell me what it entailed, but I'm like, oh, you know, fine, I'll I'll give it a shot. We have 45 five-year-olds on Saturdays. 45 five-year-olds on Saturdays. Two groups of about 22 apiece for an hour per. First of all, a five-year-old, just to lay it out there for you, Most of those five-year-olds couldn't get the bowl above their head, much less shoot. But you know what? One in there. Through the grace and mercy of the Lord. Poured myself for those two hours. I'd leave horse. I'd be a horse doing that. Then I was preaching. But you know what's amazing? My wife will tell you, we got to meet so many people doing that. I got to connect with so many people. We've been to see people and the, see them at the grocery store. Even today, there are little boys grown up to be going, hey, Mr. Joel. That was three, two years ago, three years ago. Now, still, in the grocery store, meet, seeing parents. Hey, you know what? Man, that was still, my kid still talks about that. That's Those things were things that we never thought were that important, but here's the problem: they're not religious, but they're spiritual. Ooh, we see—they're not religious, but they're spiritual. I'm not—I'm not—I'm not stuttering here. They're not religious, but they're spiritual. They're not religious, but they're spiritual. We have put a priority on religion and we have let things that we think are important religion, and then we put categorize, if it's not religion, then it must be carnal, and therefore, it's no good. But that's not how God looks at that. I'll give an example. Sister, uh, the... the um, Bailey and Kelsey are doing a phenomenal job leading our youth, and and they had opened the door for uh, for uh, in the community. We they, they decided to follow in the youth group. Um, I'm not going to get to all this tonight, so we're just going to roll with Jesus. He knows what time it is. I might as well just stop pretending. I'm going to get to the rest of that. So they decided that uh, uh, they, they were, they were going to follow the template of Antioch West, and they, they wanted to break the youth into small groups every other week. And so they did it in, in, in Bailey's home. She was so gracious to be willing to open up her home to a bunch of teenagers, which was brave in and of itself. And so um, they started doing that. I don't know how it happened. I, I don't remember the story. Sorry, Bailey. I don't know how it all happened. But somehow, somebody or somehow there was a connection, either an invite somewhere where the some girls in the neighborhood heard about it, started coming. And when they first started coming, I remember the conversation. My wife, I was there, my wife was having with Bailey, and, and, and Bailey was a little bit, and I don't mean this to be funny, but she was kind of like a little stressed because she said, you know, the problem is they're coming and, and they're so raw. I mean, these girls are dealing with some stuff, man, stuff. It's like legit stuff. I mean, it's not like you know they're worried about you know homework. These are they're dealing with some just whoo big boy stuff at their age. I don't I don't want to even go into it because I, I don't want to I, I, if if they ever get connected here, I don't want to embarrass them. But they're dealing with some big boy issues at home. I mean, just stuff. And so Bailey was saying, you know, come and and you know. You can't just go into the depths of things with them. And she goes, you know, what? Well, all we're doing, it's not real spiritual. We're just playing games. And immediately the Lord spoke to my wife. Whoa, wait a minute. That is spiritual. Oh, wait a minute. You, did you just say playing games is spiritual? You can't say that. It's supposed to be spiritual is defined by how many hours you've spent speaking in tongues and laying hands? But for those girls, that was spiritual. See, the problem with this is now we're going to take this and now we're going to say, well, see, I'm home playing video games. This is spiritual. I'm not talking about that. You've got to understand this is being led of the spirit. All of a sudden now every guy is going to go out and buy a PlayStation. I don't need that. this as spiritual. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Seven hours on PlayStation. I'm just lost in the spirit. Not quite. But for that particular situation, that was spiritual. I believe, call me crazy. That's okay. I believe by participating i'm not putting it above god i'm not putting it above ministry i prayed and asked god did he want me involved in it i followed the will of god the peace of god i didn't just say well you know and i've watched it let's be honest let's just we've seen it happen some people put their kids priorities above god so i'm not justifying now where well you know what i can't come to anything anymore because i'm gonna go with my child for sports and i can't do anything anymore because or the right said that that was a spiritual endeavor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you've got to be careful here. You've got to follow the Holy Ghost. This is, where, this is where people are getting in trouble because now they take in principles that are based in following the Holy Ghost and following the will of God and they, they use those to mask their unsubmission and their own carnality. So we've got to keep this one in context but i believe every saturday that i go to those to coach my son's basketball team that i'm doing it spiritually because i don't know what parent i'm connecting to i don't know what little boy and little girl that i'm connecting to i don't know where that relationship's going to lead to right now we have through my through my son's involvement of sports and i'm not trying to say we all should go get in sports within context here but through my son's involvement with sports we right now have have made some in just awesome connections my wife and i have made a connection with a couple with a son in the area that just it's a step incremental step and then we've got another uh, connection with a with a man R- when we joined the baseball last year, he was just in the middle of a divorce, and we just we we, we every every day we we came out the baseball, we just said, "Hey man, how's it going?" There were days it was rough, man. You could see it. It was rough. It was difficult. I saw him maybe I don't know three months ago. About then, and uh, it was well after baseball season. It's it was in the cold. And I, I saw him out and about, and I, I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, I'm okay. I said, uh, so how's the life? He said, well, it's tough right now. He said it's official. It's gone through. I said, man, I'm sorry for that. He goes, hey, you know, maybe after the holidays or something, you think we just get together and our, our boys can hang out? He said, you know, your son was such a, a good, good kid, and I would love my boys to just hang out, and we could just hang out and just. Well, you can, but we're going to, can we pray? It just, we can We can hang out as long as we come to... I didn't say any of that. I don't know where it's going to go. Again, uh, be careful what I'm saying, what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about all of a sudden now we just go, we give over to our flesh because now we're really going to be spiritual, right? We're always going to just... No. I'm talking about being led of the Spirit. Be careful what we label now because... Some people are going to take what I'm saying tonight and they're going to use this as a cover to to unleash their carnality. I'm not saying that. But I'm using the Jesus model that when he called down Zacchaeus from the tree, the first thing he said is, let's go hang out at your house. First thing. Because we need to revisit what we deem to be spiritual interaction. Right. Because if we're we're showing the characteristics of love of Jesus Christ, then every encounter we have is spiritual. Because we're demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. So, we'll get into the next part next week. And I was trying to wrap up next week and maybe... The Lord knew because there's some more stuff to dig into. But we're complicating this so much. I keep saying it. It goes back to just something very simple. Simply Jesus. What are we talking about Sunday mornings? We're talking about what? Connecting to him. If I'm connecting to him, I'm connecting to the source of love. And then his love can flow through me. And that way he gives me the ability to discern the situations to know when to step in, know what to say, how to say it. But it's not because somehow I'm following Seth, some kind of rule book or instruction manual. Say, so okay, here's when to do this. I can't tell you when the best time is to invite some over, somebody over to to play a game, and when's the right time to talk to them about Jesus. I can't tell you that. Because why? Because every person's individual. So that's the problem. I can't break that down for you. If you're looking for a how-to, I can't say, okay, first invite them over for a game of Scrabble. The next time invite them to go game of Uno. But the Monopoly night, that's your night to monopolize the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. Doesn't work that way. Because you know what? There may be some people with 35 deadbolts and some people with only one deadbolt. But here's the point. I know the one who holds the key. If I'm connected to him, he will let me know when the door is open. The problem is we've been trying to unlock doors without being connected to the one who holds the key. You're not a locksmith. Put your instruments away. Stop trying to pick open the lock of somebody's heart with your skill and knowledge of the word of God and you do more damage. Just get to know the one who holds the master key of love. If you get connected to them, the door will open and you'll know when to step through it. I can't give you a how-to manual. I'm sorry, I don't have it. I can give you some principles. I can give you some, some things that may help you or challenge you or some, some, some guidelines and some parameters, but I can't give you the, the exact how to, what to say, how to say it. I can't say, okay, you know what? Give five cards this week or give six cards this week. It, it's got to be based off the individual, where they're at. I can't tell you, go to his house because Zacchaeus is, is hanging in that tree, but he really wants an encounter. Oh, but oh, by the way, be at the well tomorrow at noon because there's a lady coming, I can't tell you that. There's no way to say that to you. There's no way to say that there's a woman in the next town over that's run out of options and she's got nowhere else to go and she's on her last leg because the disease she has, she can't find a cure for, but Jesus is a healer. I can't tell you how to have that interaction. I can just say, you got to be connected. Damn. And if you're connected to him, he will lead and guide you and he will let you demonstrate love the way he wants that love to be demonstrated to that person. But there's no how-to guide to that. There's no how-to guide, how how-to guide of, of what to talk about to a person or, or share with some person or, or when to talk about football, but when to talk about Jesus. I, don't, I can't tell you that tonight. So if you're looking for, okay, now then, I oh, tell me exactly what to do. I can't tell you that. I just got to say, listen, this all goes back to one thing. We've been talking about that's the most important. We got to connect to him. We got to walk with him. Not on Sundays, but every day of the week. Because he's the one that ultimately will tell you when. It'll come from in here. It won't come from here. It comes from in here. He tells you, and you're sensitive to when that door opens. So before we leave here and we get all into the mechanics of, okay, we got to love. Start small. You're going to go with tomorrow and you're going to blow it. Because you're talking about the mechanics. In the end. Say, God, I want to love you, and I want to love others with your love. Help me to walk in that love. Help me to demonstrate that love. Show me how to love, and he will direct your paths. It won't come from the pulpit. It won't be a how-to guide. I don't know the people in your neighborhood. I don't know the people in your job. I don't know the people in your life. I can't tell you their problems or situations, where they are. I can't tell the mess they're in. All I know is this. People are hurting. People are messed up. They need love. But everybody speaks differently of what matters to them in love. Some, it might be a card. Others will get that card and go, really? They won't even read it. So if you think you can find the the secret ingredient that's going to lock every door, no. No. So why? Why? Before we leave out of here and you decide to start trying to figure this thing out, don't do it. Go back to him. Say, God, you said love was important. You said you are love. And you told me to love others. That's the most important characteristic. Show me how to do that. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you walk going to your job, or you go to the interactions of your day. Ask the Lord to show you who those people are you're interacting in through his eyes. Came in a situation, I finished with this, I'm done. Came across a situation, my wife was telling me just some things the Lord's been dealing with her about. And we were in a situation not too long ago where we were interacting with a couple. It was a same-sex couple. and She said, you know what, Joel? When I was there interacting with them, I saw them with such compassion. It was particular one of the particular individuals. In the, in, and she said, there was something that was drawing me into that person. It was just pulling me. I could feel them. Because... She said, I was seeing them not with my eyes. I was seeing them with Jesus' eyes. We could begin to see with his eyes, feel with his heart, reach with his passion. So that it's the same medicine, but it's the hands that make the difference. Whose hands? It's The hands of a nail-scarred master reaching out with Joel's hands. If I'm in him and he's in me, back to that branch, cannot abide outside. If I've got the connection in the branch, when I'm reaching out, it might be the same medicine, but that medicine's going to be given with nail-scarred hands, not these hands. So they're not going to see me, they're going to see him. Lord, you are so desperate for us to understand and know this. I can feel the pull of your spirit tugging in this room. I can feel you pulsating out of this room to everybody that's watching, whoever they may be, wherever they may be. But Father, I pray now in Jesus' name. We don't know what, we, we really don't know how to do this if we knew we would be doing it. So I pray, God, that tonight you would give us the grace to walk in your love that you would give us the grace to show us how to love. Not our love, but how to demonstrate your love. Let us love what you love. Let us see what you see. Let us understand and see with your eyes so that we can love like you love. Let us not be filled with eros love, but let us have agape that comes only from you. And Father, let us leave out of here with one passion, that is to be connected with you so that we can be connected with your love, that we can be conduits of your love. I speak your grace to be upon us tonight. Your grace for us to walk in this, that we can demonstrate this because we're living in a world of hurting people that are looking for love, but not the love of a human, but the love of a Savior. Give us the grace to be the hands and the feet of you. That we can give the medicine, but give him with the right hands. I speak all of this in Jesus' name. Let's just lift our hands one more time in this place and just ask Jesus to seal this word in our hearts. That it would not just be something that we just heard tonight, but it would be something that we have a desire to live out and demonstrate. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. I thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Praise God. God bless you. Appreciate you coming. And uh, we're going to continue to live Love 360. Amen. God bless you.